Hello and welcome to the Leaders with Ambition podcast series, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the most successful leaders working in professional services firms across the UK, US and internationally. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they have overcome and to find out what traits make a successful leader. Hello and welcome to the latest in the Leaders with Ambition podcast series. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest, Erin Lawler. And Erin is Head of Markets and Business Development in Americas for Hogan Lovell. Now, this is going to be a really interesting podcast today. There is a good journey here, which starts with the fact that Erin's family were really encouraging her to become a lawyer. And she's ended up working for law firms for a large period of her career, but it's been within the business development and marketing arena. But we'll see how Erin started her her working life, working in in a recruitment company, actually doing recruiting, and how she then really utilised her network to help morph into some of the roles that she specialises in today. So I think it's going to be really strong, the power of networking that Erin will share with us, but also the power of mentoring and how Erin's really leaned into mentors that have helped her with her career and how she's taken so much from that and pays it forward and does a lot of mentoring herself now. So that's going to be an interesting part of the discussion today. There's also some really interesting um, conversation we'll be having about female leadership and how important it is to really reach out to help other females develop their careers and to to assist where needed. And then we will end on some words of wisdom. And I have to say, one of um, Erin's mantras, which I absolutely love, is this take your job seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to Erin to bring her career history to life. Erin, over to you. Terrific. Nikki, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here today. Sincerely appreciate the opportunity and thrilled to be here. So I'm happy to start with a little bit of background about myself, if, if uh-huh. I may. I grew up in, in Connecticut outside of New York City and was fortunate enough to really enjoy my upbringing there, a pretty traditional upbringing. I went to university in Boston where I was as you said, as you know, on a pre-law track to the extent that that was. I studied political science and international law and thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I was raised, I have lawyers in the family. And when it came time, actually, when push came to shove, I realized that I wasn't necessarily 110% committed to going to law school. And from what I gather and what I've heard and learned, you need to be about 120% committed to go to law school. So (laughs) I took a gap year. I actually deferred my acceptance and took a gap year and wound up working, as you said, for a recruiting agency, which was tremendous. That was fateful as well. I went in to the agency looking for a temporary job or something I could do for a year while I figured out what I wanted to do relative to law school and wound up working for them. So that was my first foray into sales and business development in in a way. And while I was at the agency, I specialized in placing contract attorneys, paralegals, legal secretaries, so really got to know law firms as an industry and did that for about a year and a half when I was then recruited by a client who happened to be the global firm McDermott, Will & Emery, and the HR manager with whom I'd worked closely on the placement side uh, said she was expanding her team and asked if I would come interview for an opening as an HR generalist where I would do the recruiting on 
the client yeah. side of the house. So, <laughs> and I did that. And uh, I think that absolutely kicked off my career in big law. And when I got into the law firm, realized there was an entire host of opportunities available that did not require one to practice law. So I was very fortunate early on to find the industry that I liked and knew I wanted to be a part of, but also opportunities to develop a career that was not of the fee-earning nature, shall I say. So how did your parents take that then? Were they pretty happy that you'd ended up in law or if my father asks, I'm still considering law school. <laughs> but no, he is he is delighted and they're very happy that I'm happy. I'm very, like I said, I'm beyond blessed that I'm so fortunate and that I love what I do and I love the people I work with. And I found a career that really matches my personality, but also my value system. Yeah. I heard a long time ago when people were talking about figuring out what to do for a living. There's an old adage that says, find what you love to do and someone who will pay you to do it. Well, I've now looking back on over 20 plus years in in big law, I realize it really is fundamentally about relationship building. So much of my career is rooted in relationships, building with my team, building with my clients, building with my colleagues. And my relationships are a core value to me as a person. You know, I, I take value from what engaging with other people. I am truly an extrovert and that I draw my energy from being around people. And I am really fortunate that I've landed in a place where it allows me to not only develop in a skill set, but also really aligns very well with what I believe in as a, as a person. Yeah, plays to your strengths, definitely, doesn't it? Which is, Absolutely. Uh, as you say, it's uh, that again, it goes back to if you're doing a job that you love, you never have to work a day in your life. And that's the... <laughs> well, I've certainly worked. I've certainly worked yeah, yeah, yeah. in my life. But like I said, I'm fortunate. It's a very, very good fit for me. Yeah. You had a, a short stint, well, not too short, six years working in, in the insurance industry. How I did. I did. That was very interesting. That was also, that was twofold. That was one by geography. I was moving, actually moved out of Boston and had the opportunity to join AIG. I was referred there to a friend. It was in their litigation management unit. So in the beginning, it was very similar to what I was doing in big law. And then they actually, I was recruited internally to do sales and marketing. I was a business development manager for them for two plus years, which is really where that was what I would say was my detour from law. I did the industry side of the house and was um, working with, I say I traded lawyers for brokers and was working with (laughs) insurance brokers to develop and sell property and casualty insurance products. And that was hoot, for lack of a better expression. It was a lot of fun. It was definitely a, a sales culture and it 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 taught me that I'm actually not afraid of sales. You know, that's something that we tend to shy away from in the legal industry. That term tends to make, in my experience, tends to make lawyers a little bit nervous when you start talking about sales, but it is the fundamental basis of what we do in marketing and business yeah. development. And that made me very comfortable with that, that arena, if you will. So I, taking a step back when I was in law firms prior to leaving to go to the industry side at AIG to go to the client side. My role in big law was more on the human resources and professional development side. So I worked at McDermott and human resources, and then I went to Skadden where I did professional development and ran the summer program for a few years. And then from there, I went to AIG with the experience I developed at AIG in sales, marketing and business development. It then positioned me to return to the law firm environment that I realized I missed very much having been out of it for some time, but I was also able to then marry my my skills in business development to the marketing and business development side of the house in 
big law. So that was a really neat transition in that. And at the risk of dating myself, that was also when I left, quote unquote, big law in the late 90s, marketing and business development was not quite the animal that it is today or the, the the function that it is today. It was not nearly as sophisticated. It was not nearly seen as the revenue generator that it is today. So it really was a very, very good timing for me. So when I returned back to big law, I that was when I entered the marketing and business development manager arena. I uh, started out with Wilmer Hale in New York. So I went Boston for university, started out my career there, moved to Philadelphia, worked at AIG for several years, moved back to New York home, if you will. And that's when I started with Wilmer Hale in marketing and business development. And that's how I wound up in MBD as an MBD professional in big law. That's amazing. And I think, wasn't it at your, when you were at your time at AIG, I think it was uh, Terry Williams that you yes. met who became a long-term mentor for yes. you. Absolutely. It does have an impact on you later on in your career as well. But again, that importance of mentoring and finding a mentor is something that you strongly believe in, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also believe in the power of, of learning from people, even if you're not in an official mentor capacity. You see something that somebody does and it you respond to it or you appreciate it, you can then certainly take it and and apply it to your own life. You needn't be, and I try to impress this upon my team, it needn't be a formal mentoring situation to be able to draw advice, guidance, and, and talent from, from yeah. the people that you work with. I think that's a really good point. And I think that sometimes people are waiting to be mentored or mm-hmm. to be approached. And you've really got to just, if, if it's something that's important to you, and there's someone that you see that's got a, a value or a learn that you can get from them or a skill, go out there and ask them. It is indeed. And in the instance with Terry, we've worked through our career many, many years now. It's a a long time that we've known each other, but he joined AIG when I was in litigation management. And at the time he was overseeing the function. And he actually, after we'd worked together for a few months, he had set up, established a senior management committee, which was actually focused the business development side of the house. That was where I first started to get into the BD side of things and that he, uh, I was on his, I was on his committee. And then when I transferred over to the sales and marketing side at AIG, he stayed with AIG for quite some time. And in interesting turn events, we stayed very, very close. And he was always, always a mentor as circumstance would have it. He then joined Prior to me joining, several years before I joined Hogan Lovells, he joined Hogan Lovells. And that was uh, uh, very fun because it was a time where I could actually help him. I could come back to the mentor because he he had never worked in big law. And this was, you know, I remember him asking if we could go for a cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, we might need a little bit more than a cup of coffee to talk about the big law environment. (laughs) But it worked out well. We stayed in touch. And then, of course, when the uh, opportunity arose, it it, um, it. at Hogan Levels, um, you know, I'd always had, frankly, my eye on on Hogan Levels as a fantastic firm. I knew the caliber of people they hired. I knew the, the quality of the services. I knew how sophisticated their MMBD function was. So it really was wonderful opportunity. And also speaking to the power of networking, the then COO at Wilmer Hale, gentleman by the name of Scott Green, was my COO at Wilmer Hale. So we connected as well, and I was able to do some outreach when I realized the opportunity was available. And it was really, I always say I landed where I'm supposed to be, but it certainly yeah. was not done alone. It was done through what I learned. And, and again, I think it also shows the importance of networking and, and staying in touch. Yeah. 
and giving your best self at work as well, because people aren't going to recommend you or stay in touch or think about you for opportunities unless you're very good at what you do. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's also, you know, a matter of of advocating for yourself and taking that opportunity as, as I think you know probably better than most, given that you help people in their careers. Opportunities don't always come at the most convenient time. So it's a matter of trying to understand. It's, it's easy, as I say, to find reasons not to do something. And it's very easy to stay in your comfort zone. Uh, and yeah. I think many of us do that. And I think that there is a time to do that. Absolutely. But often when the opportunity is there, it just does not seem to be Timing-wise, always the best. So I would encourage people to look beyond that to yeah. the extent that that you can. Obviously, your priorities, your current circumstances will dictate a lot of what you do, but you'd be surprised. And that's the advice that I give to other people is that always have the conversation. You never know where your next opportunity will come from. You never know how you can benefit somebody else or somebody else can benefit you. So it's really just a, a key component of, I think, moving along in your career is utilizing relying on utilizing the people around you that again it comes back to those relationships yeah I think it's great advice that it's always about you know maintaining utilizing moving forward you had a, a period of time at Norton Rose didn't you as, as yes, part I did. of the the development of your career and what was the pull there for you at the time what was it was interesting for you with that opportunity that was fascinating. Frankly, I've been very fortunate that I've worked for some tremendous firms, really, truly some tremendous law firms. And when I left Wilmer Hale for the opportunity at, it was then Fulbright and Jaworski. Right. So the one of the things I think I'm most proud of and look back on as one of my most significant projects was being instrumental in the due diligence process for the merger between Fulbright and Jaworski in the US and Norton Rose out of the UK. That was amazing a, experience. It was a oh wonderful God. experience. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of <laughs> long nights, but it was absolutely tremendous. And from my perspective, it really gave me an understanding of what the merger was about, what the platforms were going to do coming together in the world of law firm mergers and acquisitions, it was relatively easy given that there were no U.S. operations. So we were able to kind of bypass some of the duplicative efforts and we didn't have to deal with redundancies, which was tremendous. And it's also personally a very special time because I actually was expecting my child at the time. And then, so we did all of the due diligence. And when the time, by the time that the actual merger was effective, it was announced in October and it was effective the following June, I actually was on maternity leave. So, you know, kind of two babies at once. But when I came back, I left, we were still Fulbright Jaworski. When I came back, we were officially Norton Rose Fulbright. But I also will say that that gave me being so intimately involved in the process I felt I really truly felt like I didn't skip a beat when I came back when I came back yeah. to work because I knew I wasn't doing the the culture shock or, or what's happening because I had been so involved in it for many months prior so that was well, the biggest challenge of working through that then because I mean these are huge firms challenging situations as you say you're working 24 7 what was the biggest yeah. challenge for you working through the due diligence and well very very candidly the the challenge for me personally was that I was newly pregnant and I was actually very, very tired and very ill uh, working, <laughs> working some long hours, but it, it, it worked out very well. It was also challenging because I had not yet disclosed because I was newly pregnant at the time. But I would say in terms of the firms coming together, I think the challenge always lies at the risk of oversimplifying things. It really comes down to the cultures and how the cultures can align with one another. I don't necessarily think that they will integration. I mean, ultimately, after a few years, it will become a matter of integration. But I think at the beginning, it's about alignment. And of course, that's just making sure that 
of course, that all hopes that is considered as part of a, a merger proposition. And in this case, it certainly was. But I think anytime, first of all, anytime something's new, it's a little scary, right? Yeah. We doubled or tripled our size. Forgive me for not knowing those details off the top of my head at the moment. It's been a decade. But I think it's always about just kind of how that change impacts everybody in their day-to-day life. You know, from a business perspective, it was tremendous. It was a new client base. It was, you know, a, a new set of partners. It was a new management committee. It was a lot of new and exciting things. From a personal perspective, I think it takes a little, it can be unsettling for people if something, you've only ever known something one way and yeah. then it changes. I mean, I think we are reluctant as people to change. We tend to automatically kind of want to push back about around that, particularly, and then particularly lawyers, as we know, the psychology of a lawyer, they're pretty risk averse and typically like to do things the way that it's, that they've been done and that they know. So I would say the challenge is typically around the culture. We were very fortunate. We had a very, a wonderful transition and that firm's been very successful. Kudos to them. And you mentioned, as you say, that you were present at the time. And I know that one of the things that really stuck with me when we've spoken before was how focused you were on becoming a mother and also then wanting to have boundaries so that you could spend time with your child and making sure that you were there. And how have you found that? Because you're a very successful woman. How have you managed to keep boundaries and how have you managed to keep those balls in the air? I'm sure sometimes you drop, but... I wish I had or could articulate an answer for you. (laughs) I don't know. It's day to day. A dear friend of mine once told me that she heard, and then I took this as one of my own mantras, that it's not really about work-life balance. It's about work-life integration. And I think that makes a lot of sense because just as your car will need to be serviced in the middle of the day and you will have to miss work for a few hours, you're also going to find yourself driving your child to school thinking about the project that you have on hand or, or the next thing that's coming down the pike. And I have worked to integrate those pieces of my life, understanding that my family is first and foremost my priority. And I have been very upfront about that in around my career, both in interview processes. And I am very adamant about drawing certain lines of demarcation where they need to be. Now, does it mean I'm at everything all the time for my daughter? Not necessarily. Unfortunately, that's simply the way that it works. But I do prioritize my family. And I think most people do, of course, but it's not, I will say it's gotten easier, I think, thanks to the women who have blazed the trails before me. And I think certainly COVID has shifted everybody's attitude around work family priorities, but it is something that I don't even want to say I'm challenged by or I struggle with because it's just part of the day to day. It's just something that we, we manage, right? That's how it goes. And, but I have no, I will never apologize for putting my family first and foremost. And if that means I'm I have to put the CEO on hold for a moment because my child's school is calling, then that's how it is. And to date, I will say, I don't think that it has hindered me. Well, you know, you're more authentic, aren't you? This is your priority. I and I know that you've spoken to me about the sense of fulfillment that you feel as being a mother and also oh, absolutely. a woman. So it's great that you can merge the two together and make it work. Absolutely. And as my daughter gets older, it's wonderful to her, for her to see that it yes, can, be, I- can be done. We use the... Uh, as you know, it's complicated to try to explain what I do for a living, particularly for somebody who's outside the industry. I can't say I'm a teacher or I'm a doctor, but my daughter has determined that I'm simply a girl boss and I will take that. I love that. Yes, take it. That's fantastic. That, that, that's your new title now. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so when you decided to move to Hogan Lovells, you mentioned that you'd always had an eye out because it's a firm that you feel is a really high caliber and the 
people as well are so important to you and that was a culture you wanted to be part of. What was the push, the pull factor for you to move? It was really more about joining Hogan Levels than it was departing. There was no impetus necessarily for me to leave. It was a matter, I'd been there for seven years at Norton Rose Fulbright. I'd seen them through the merger. I was was very happy doing what I was doing and I'd matriculated there. But again, it was the right time for the opportunity. I say they don't always come at the right time. This one timing worked to my benefit. (laughs) And it was really, it was a new challenge. I was driven by the desire also to get back to the fully focus on the client piece of things. So in my career at Norton Ruth Fulbright, I was very fortunate to pick up other avenues of responsibility, including marketing operations, which I became very well versed in and, you know, some of the more of the team management. But I also had kind of drifted, if you will, based on the priorities and the needs of the time from the client piece. And that was really exciting to me and, and to get back into the client development sphere and to run into to join Hogan Levels to help refresh and rebuild a client program was really attractive to me. And you obviously were very successful doing that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've had many hats. I would say that one of the things in terms of uh, comes back to also a piece of advice that I would give people is be versatile, be flexible. Like I said, I didn't know that I wanted to do marketing operations. I didn't know that I could, frankly, do yeah. marketing operations. But now, and it, it's a skill set that serves me well. And in fact, in my career at Hogan Levels, which is five plus years now, I've had three different roles. I started as client in as a global head of client development and then moved over to global MMBD operations lead. And that's actually a role I still retain. We've done some reshuffling and whatnot. And uh, fortunately, I think if you build good teams, they can be relatively self-sufficient. They need light oversight. That's something I'm really, really fortunate with very, very strong managers on my team that enables me to do both roles, both the operational side of the house on a global level, plus focus on the MMBD, business development, profitable revenue growth for the Americas. So yeah. it's hectic, but uh, <laughs> and I'm busy, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And you mentioned your teams there, and I know that you're very passionate about coaching, about ensuring that you've got a, a very good team around you. How do you decide who's going to become part of the team? And then how do you build this sense of real belief in the team and the culture and the development? What do you do? That's an excellent question. Now, that's a similar question to how do you balance it all? And the answer is, I don't know. So much of it is second nature to me. As I said, it's about the relationships. And I haven't always had the opportunity to build my own team. Much of it, you know, I've, I've inherited teams as, yeah. as I've gone. And I think it's important to meet people where they are, number one. And I always, my team will tell you that I talk about playing two people's strengths, not playing around other people's weaknesses. There's a significant difference in my mind. And I think that that's important. And I certainly, as trite as it sounds, I do try to lead by example. And I am very much what you see is what you get. And my team knows that. They know that I am authentic and genuine and they know that they can come to me. That's It's important for me that they know they have a resource in me, whether it's a work resource, whether it's somebody to lend an ear if they're having a tough day. But I also prioritize their families and their personal lives as well. Right. Um, I think that's an important piece of the puzzle. And it's communication. And COVID showed us how just, just how important that was and that you don't necessarily need to be in person, although nothing will ever replace the happy hours from in my real perspective. Life. In real yeah. life, nothing, nothing. And I do love our team outings. But it's really just a matter of, of being there for them, leading by example. But also, again, I think it's about understanding what each person contributes 
individually and to the team and encouraging that, highlighting that and working, as I say, work to people's strengths. We all, I think, have been in situations where we have team members that have development areas, right? We all do, frankly, but there are certainly sometimes on a team that you can, there's a development issue that might be impacting the rest of the team. It's it's about addressing that issue as uncomfortable as it may be head on, because if not, then as I said, you find yourself working around a weakness then impacts everybody else versus working towards someone's strength, which actually can elevate the entire team. So it's a nuanced, but something that I've been fortunate to have learned over the years in people management and right or wrong. There are many things that I love about my job, but uh, I actually really enjoy the people side of the house. Yeah. It's not always easy. And I spend a lot of time, obviously, with a team of uh, of the Americas, but it's certainly the most worthwhile piece of what I do and and really, really, really enjoy it. That's amazing. It's really good. Good to hear. And we talked about, you know, female leadership. And I know that it's something that, again, you're very passionate about is ensuring everybody has a, a level playing field. And how have you really been able to reach out and help other females come up through the ranks, support, coach, mentor? What what have you done? Well, I've had a lot of conversations, even those that may not, again, coming back to the non-traditional or the non-formalized mentoring program. I've been fortunate enough to be able to develop folks. I've been at firms long enough to develop them. And, and as I move, I try to recognize and reward the behavior that we want to see. Like I said, I think it's important how, particularly when it comes to the female side of the house, about maximizing your resources that are there. I mean, it truly does take a village, not just when it comes to parenting, not just when it comes to work, but when it comes to all of it. I really do think it's a group effort. I try to ensure that no one works in isolation. I think that's an important piece of the development function. So it's not just about being able to come to me. It's about positioning my senior leaders on my team to be able to be those mentors and and to be able to help develop their own team. I um, also am a proponent of looking internally when opportunities arise. I think that's very important. Not only is it, there's so many material reasons that it, it's beneficial, but also what it shows to the team that people can matriculate and that there yeah. are opportunities, I think is, is a key to retention, frankly. And But I think you're also a role model for so many people as well, because you're a successful woman, you've got a successful career, you've got, obviously you're very proud of the fulfillment you get from being a mom and you can build boundaries in, but you also recognize sometimes those, you know, those boundaries may need to cross over a little bit. So I do think you're, and you, you are your authentic self, aren't you? Yes. And so I do think you're a role model. And I think that's really important for particularly law firms to have people in these positions that someone coming in can go, gosh, look at Erin, actually, I could do that. That is achievable. Because I can see what she's doing and how she's supporting and developing. So I think, you know, good idea. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Like I said, it's it's something that I do. I do work work hard at. But I see, again, I appreciate using the term role model. I don't know that I would use that about myself, but that might just well, be there part, you go, of, you part are. of it. There we go. Well, thank you. But <laughs> own when, it, I about, own it. when I talk about leading by example, it's also showing, I mean, I have members of the team who have been with me since the beginning of Hogan Levels who have seen me migrate these positions. They've seen me, you know, they've seen administration make some changes that have impacted me directly, but they've seen me come back and they've seen me the resilience, I think, that that they have seen me personally demonstrate, I think has been helpful. And again, I think it also does come back to making it an enjoyable space for your team to the extent that we can. You know, if we have to work, that's, as you said, I do believe in that, take my job seriously, but not myself. And that's what I tell my team. But if we're not laughing, then 
there's an issue. The day's not complete without laughter, and that includes at work as well. Absolutely, very, very good mantra to have. I think. Well, it is, and it keeps you it keeps you focused. It also keeps things in check. Quite frankly, when you know it's easy to think the the sky is falling based on some of the emails we get sometimes. But as I remind my team, sometimes we're not transplanting live organs. Take a deep breath. We can <laughs> we'll get this done. But it's important, and and, and people's roles are important to them. I think it's also critical in terms of development and mentoring that people feel they have a purpose in the organization. And sometimes, frankly, being part of the team is the purpose and that's not a piece to be overlooked. We try. One of the things I think, frankly, that I've developed a a strong skill set in is helping to bridge those gaps across regions and across states. I mean, I've always worked on a team that has been in various areas since I got to Fulbright and Jaworski, I should say. And that's something I think that is critical. And I think that people do and can learn is how to include everybody in the team, even when it's not easy as saying, let's grab a beer after work, or you know, sometimes you have to force force it. And like I said, particularly during COVID, which again, I, I know I've referenced several times, but it was so impactful, not obviously for, for everybody, it was a global pandemic, yeah. but particularly for those of us who are in the field of business development and client development, client relationships, for those of us who manage a team, it was significantly, it changed the way everybody operated, but it certainly made some fundamental changes in the way we do business. But that's um, interesting. What do you think you've actually kept them from you know, the, the big mindset change? Well, funny you should ask, because as much as COVID changed everything, I walked away with it with an appreciation for the fact that the more things change, the more things stay the same, because it's still about relationships at the end of the day. Mm. It's think about those people that you care about deeply and those relationships. It was hard when we couldn't see them. It was hard when we missed outings. It was hard when people were losing people. It was traumatic and tragic. But when you look back on it, when I realized it changed the way we do business, but it didn't change the principles with which we do business, or at least certainly yeah. that that drives my career, which is about the relationship, understanding the client, making sure that those gaps are filled and those bridges are bridged. And do you think it also enabled your role in marketing and business development as a whole to get even closer to the partners? Because everybody was almost in the same situation. Level playing field is how I refer to it at the time. I do think so. And I think we learned a lot about people um, from, you know, dirty laundry on the chair behind them (laughs) to the dogs coming in to the, you know, learning more about their children. And I think it really, as I said, it was a level playing field. And I think for those, you know, I think many people, the risk of waxing philosophic, I think many people had a, a moment of what really matters. And, but at the, when coming out of it, again, people still do business with people they trust, like, and respect. And that, if anything, COVID drove that home even more so because our time was limited, our ability to engage was impacted. We had to come up with new ways of engagement, but it never took away. In fact, if anything, it reinforced the importance of relationships. And that's, like I said, that is my that's what I do. That's what yeah. I do. It's what I it's what I love to do. And I'm fortunate that I, I have been able to find a career that A aligns with my value, my core value system, and B enables me to succeed, if you will, at doing something that comes very naturally to me and that I would do regardless of whether or not it was my career. And talking about, you know, that was obviously a massive win for you personally. Looking at where the market is at the moment for law firms, marketing and business development, what do you think is the biggest challenge then for the industry as a whole? That is an excellent question. I think the advances in technology 
whether we're talking about AI or chat GBT or legal yeah. tech, I think that is, it's already beginning to redefine the way that clients do business. And that will undoubtedly have an impact on the way that they do business with their legal counsel. I don't know what that looks like. I'm curious, frankly, yeah. to see it play out. But as much as I joke with my team about we will all be replaced by robots, uh, there are certain things that robots cannot do. And that's where it comes down to the one of the core attributes of business development is relationship building. I feel pretty secure in that that will always remain an integral component. But in terms of what's going to happen with the industry, it is going to change significantly. I've already seen it change so dramatically in my many, many but I don't know specifically, but I do think, again, that the, the technology will be an issue. I think many firms are still trying to find a landing place, for lack of a better expression, after COVID. People finding that balance of what works for the organization in terms of morale, critical mass in the office, and having your people come together with still recognizing and allowing the flexibility that people had gotten so used to. And certainly, as we know, law firms had a banner record year during COVID. So it's it's a difficult argument to make, but I absolutely appreciate the reasoning behind not wanting to be a fully virtual firm and, and understand that there's certainly, certainly an important piece of bringing people together. But I think uh, firms will be challenged going forward with finding that balance for their people, both to meet the needs of the business, but to meet people's personal needs. And then it, of course, it becomes a, a discussion in the market about recruitment and retention. Yeah. Um, and that's, the, that's the important thing, isn't it? And, you know, there's so many firms and people that I speak to still saying, you know, what is the answer? That's, and, well, you know, and what's the other one doing? As we know, law firms, like, no one, no one <laughs> likes to be the first law firm to do something, right? Yeah, so it's, exactly. it, right. It's what are they doing? You know, what? Yeah. Are, and let's follow the lead. So I think that's fundamentally, there are going to be some significant shifts. I'm curious, you know, in this, I'm curious to see how it changes in terms of, are we going to have five very big global dominant firms? Or is there going to be an, uh, an appetite for a mid-sized firm? Does the yeah. definition of a mid-sized firm change? Does, you know, how does this, it's the nerd in me, if you will, who really, really likes the industry and follows what's happening with big law in general. It's very yeah. curious to see how this plays out, but no shortage of challenges ahead of us. But frankly, challenges are something that law firms do very well. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. Isn't Absolutely. It? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So. so talk to me about um, your highlights in your career then, because you've got so many. What would you class them as being? That's an interesting question. I think one of the highlights, certainly in terms of a, from, professionally speaking, was the working through the merger at, at Fulbright Jaworski and Norton yeah. Rose Fulbright. That was really wonderful experience. I would say my first partners conference at Hogan Lovells was yeah. a tremendous experience. It was I'd never seen something of the size and scope of that before, and it was very impressive. I'm very rarely speechless, <laughs> as you likely can infer, but that was very impressive and a lot of work, and I'm very much looking forward to our upcoming Partners Conference, the first one we've had in five years. Amazing. Uh, in in real life. So, yeah. yes, and um, hopefully I can come back to you and say that that was a professional highlight as well. And just anytime I see a team member matriculate, anytime I see... I don't necessarily think of my successes as big wins necessarily. I think it's it's about the little things that add up. You know, when I see a team member try something new or when I see a team member deliver a project that he, she, or they are so proud of themselves, that's really where I take my joy and my validation, if you will, because what you contribute 
to the firm as a person, as a professional is one thing, but how you impact other folks and how you help them contribute to the firm is just as important to me. It really is. So I've had some of my highlights have included somebody that started out as a coordinator with me many moons ago and we stayed close and, you know, she recently became a director and that's, that's exciting. Like I, I take that seeing people succeed really is, you know, to your point, A, it's important about females, of course, supporting females, but just seeing anybody in that, in that light, it's really, you can see, you know, that is to me a success, seeing other, seeing other people succeed is really. I think for you people, your people are really your passion. You can see that, you know, you can hear. And so when you see people doing, going above and beyond and developing, Mm -hmm. fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, my team will tell you I'm pretty, as I said, it's hard sometimes those boundaries and those lines can get crossed. But I think one of the things that my team appreciates the most, and I've been this way uh, and I've gotten this feedback, is that if I'm online for whatever reason and, and I realize that somebody in London is online, same time and I know it's midnight in London. I'll hop on and say, what are you, what are you what doing? Are you what doing? can I help you? What what can I help you with? How can I help you get to bed? Right. It's, it's an important piece. And certainly there's times that you can't. Sometimes you're going to have to be there. And yeah. but I think they appreciate just the question. And they are people first and employees second to me. And that's yeah. always been the way. And it's never, like I said, if it has hindered me, not to a noticeable degree. So yeah. but I think great. that's also why I think I've been successful, of course, as a team around me, but it's about not only just empowering your team, but letting them know that they have somebody understands what they're dealing with. We're all juggling. We're all struggling. We all have commitments and not necessarily just around children too. People have other things going on in their lives. You know, I once had a uh, team member who was training for a marathon and I said, okay, do what you know. I mean, I understand 21 mile run is necessary, but it is going to impact that person deserves some of the same flexibility that we give some of the parents, it shouldn't just be about yeah, I love that. one particular lifestyle that gets accommodations. And again, that's yeah. that was one of the benefits of COVID where I think everybody began to appreciate that there needs to be flexibility all around. But again, allowing people to be people first and employees. Absolutely. And that level playing field, like you say, you know, everyone's got to have the opportunity, which I love with you. Yeah. And challenges. What do you think are the challenges for you, uh, your personal challenges or your career challenges? What have you faced and overcome over the years? That's an interesting question as well. It's It's been different challenges at different times of A, my life, B, at stages of my career. And I think that I have a deeper appreciation for, uh, which serves me well in my current role as head of the Americas, is understanding how a regional role needs to align with some of the larger global roles, like because in major in big law firms, as you know, you will have people who are focused on a an industry or people who are focused on a practice group, then you'll have people who are focused on a regional side of things. When I was a regional manager at Wilmer Hill, I was challenged and I, I enjoyed the challenge because again, it was about building those relationships, but yeah. it was interesting to be a regional manager. At the time, I was in New York and Wilmer Hale was then the combination of a DC-based firm and a Boston-based firm. So, and this was the first of many times that I would understand, learn, and operate in the sphere of what do you do when you're not a New York-based law firm in New York? And that is something I would say professionally from the from the industry side, that has always been one of my significant challenges is how do you raise profile in areas where you're not homegrown? law firm, right? And most of the law firms who have offices in many cities and many countries, they are challenged by that. And that's something I think that we are all challenged by. It's a common common challenge, but it's certainly one that I've dealt with is, again, how do you bring 
how do you raise a profile locally of a global firm when you're competing not only with the other global firms, but also the firms that are born and and raised in particular regions? So I would say that on one side. And then, you know, of course, (laughs) when asked to think about challenges, it's always, and I will say there have been some challenges when I've been away and I've been homesick and I've missed, I've missed things. And but we work through that. Fortunately, those are very few and far between, but they are impactful when they happen. Words of wisdom from you then. What would you be sharing to Erin when she was telling mom and dad that she wasn't going to become a lawyer to now? Um, <laughs> I would say words of wisdom. One, really, truly work seriously, play seriously. Remember that, try to keep things in perspective, but it is, if we're going to spend a significant amount of time, the time that we do at our chosen profession and at our jobs, it has to be something that you like doing. I mean, I appreciate that there's be paid. We need to, you know, support our families and and whatnot. But if you're not finding some enjoyment in your job, some enjoyment, it's not going to be rainbows and butterflies all day, every day. But if you're not finding any enjoyment, then you should rethink where you are because it'll be easier if you enjoy what you do. You will be able to accomplish more, I think, when you really genuinely enjoy at least pieces of what you do. And again, I love the legal industry. I love lawyers. Um, (laughs) I really do. (laughs) And, And I love what I do in terms of my roles and responsibilities. So I've been very fortunate. But again, I see people who struggle sometimes with what they're doing and they're not really sure they want to be there. And of course, we're always going to have questions. You're always going to have bad days, but fundamentally, you really should be enjoying what you do the majority of the time or else you should rethink what you're doing. And I would always say, so again, take your job seriously, but not yourself. Always have the conversation, right? Because opportunities, you never know where they're going to come from or when they're going to arrive and they are very rarely convenient. (laughs) And then at the end of the day, determine what your personal priorities are your personal values and lead with that so you can great words of wisdom there and say things that I'll take on board thank you so much for your time today Erin I've really loved this conversation I'm definitely taking away the fact that you know take work seriously and self seriously I think that's a a key a key win there isn't it and I think my team would tell you that's exactly how I am but it has been an absolute delight chatting with you and I and I hope the the listeners have gained something here, but I'm always happy to chat further. And I'm sorry, last words of wisdom, be your authentic self. Very be true. your authentic self. It is too hard to maintain both. Yeah. And and trust yourself, your authentic self has a lot to offer. So, and I think people really do relate to that as well. So don't take yourself too seriously, be authentic and always have the conversation when it comes to opportunities. And of course, pay it forward when you understand that, again, it may not be in a formalized role, but people are looking up to you. People are watching, learning, listening, and make sure you're there to support them as well, because it truly is not just about what you deliver personally, but how you can help others deliver and contribute. Brilliant words to end on. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you so much, Nikki. Be well. 